And of course, for all my listeners in the Georgia area, you can come out to Booch Fest at the Anchor Bar in Kennesaw, Georgia. Located at 2708 Town Center Drive, Kennesaw, Georgia, 30144. Again, that address is 2708 Town Center Drive, Kennesaw, Georgia, 30144. The next two shows will be Thursday, December 8th and Thursday, December 22nd. The show will be hosted by me, and it will feature some of the funniest comics the Atlanta comedy scene has to offer. Some have been doing it for years, some who are relatively new, and some who may even be stepping on a comedy stage for the very first time. All comedy acts, no matter how long they've been performing, are welcome to be in this show. So come on down for a great night of comedy as the Booch is taking over Kennesaw. And on December 10th, Combat Pro Wrestling presents Seasons Beatings at Eastside High School, located at 1300 Brushy Creek Drive, Taylor, South Carolina, 29687. Again, that address is 1300 Brushy Creek Road, Taylor, South Carolina, 29687. I, of course, will be the ring announcer for this event, and the show will be featuring special guest general manager, WWE Hall of Famer, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Also scheduled to appear are the Cowboy James Storm, the legendary Barbarian, the Greater Good, Garrett Sinclair, Forever Young, Devin Cruz, from AEW, Griff Garrison, the Russian Wolf, Neil Koloff, from Tosh.0, Dave Wills. It's still real to me, damn it! The All-American Blue Chipper, Chase Emery. Buckshot, Brian Brock. NWA Tag Team Champions and NWA United States Tag Team Champions. The Heat Seekers. Born Scum, Chase Lovelace. Stan the Man Lee. From AEW Dark and Friday Night SmackDown, Marcus Cross. Outlaw, Randy Wayne. From AEW Dark, The Brolick, Tyson Maddox, The Gimmick Destroyer, Dave Stage, and many, many more stars. Be sure to follow them on social media via Facebook at Combat Pro Wrestling, Twitter at Real Combat Pro, and on Instagram at Combat underscore Pro underscore Wrestling. To find out more information on superstars that will be added and when the tickets will be on sale. I am so excited to be part of this show. I look forward to ring announcing and I also look forward to seeing all of you in Taylor, South Carolina. As we do a benefit show for the Eastside High School weightlifting department. So come on out for a great show and let's help the students of Eastside High make some motherfucking Games.
What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Boochcast. This week, ladies and gentlemen, we are back again with the NFL Week in Review. Yeah, I know. I change the title all the time. I don't care. We're still having fun here every week, ladies and gentlemen, because I am always here with the one and only NFL exporter, the one, the only, the incredibly talented, Mr. Lance Goodman is back. Lance, welcome back to the show. Thank you so very much. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. Always, always a pleasure, and um, we got a hell of uh, a show we got this week and um one thing I, and there's a couple things we're going to talk about first um is uh, as i'm going through um obviously we had a hell of a great games uh, these last few weeks and something that really there's two things i want to get into before we get into that the first one is something that fascinated me recently as we know uh, this past thursday uh the bills uh played against the patriots and um i know that a lot of people out there as you guys know tonight is a uh, booch fest at the anchor bar by uh, town center mall in kennesaw georgia and a lot of people were asking me why we didn't have a show Last week, it's supposed to be a bi-weekly show. Well, the reason Anchor Bar didn't do that is because the Bills were playing. And they were planning a big event. Because apparently, and I just recently found this out, apparently the Anchor Bar is a bar that's exclusive to, like, Bills fans. It's like a Bills fans type of bar. That's where they all kind of get together in Kennesaw. And I noticed that. Then, this past Saturday, I had a show at Tavern on Medlock. And as I'm walking into the bar to open up for uh, Jim Gossett, who will be at the show tonight, I noticed it says on the on the sign "Bills fans." Like a, this is like it was literally a parking spot that said "Bills fans only." And of course, I parked there because who's going to ask me that question? And then I remember about a year ago, my buddy Zach and I were driving around and we saw another bar that was Bills fans. And what fascinated me is I didn't know Atlanta had so many Bills fans in it. And this is a question I, I need. I wanted to ask you, Lance, because it's fascinating me. Has Atlanta? always had this many Buffalo Bills fans in it? Or is this a recent development because the Falcons have done so bad? This is an offspring of something that has been happening for a very long time. Side note, I'm from Buffalo. Oh. So, so the way that this has worked out since let's just call it the mid mid 80s to early 90s. If you lived in New York, if you lived in New Jersey, if you lived really anywhere along the Northeast Coast, uh, trying to escape the weather, trying to get to a place that uh, was close enough by. So you have tons of Buffalo transplants. I know both of those bars very well. The Anchor Bar is actually a Buffalo bar. Um, That is an establishment that stretched out and opened up a restaurant here in Atlanta. But the Anchor Bar is an official bar. Uh, It's one of the most well-known, maybe if not the most well-known chicken wing place in Buffalo, right on Main Street. So, um, and then when you talk about uh, Medlock Tavern, yes, it is right there on Medlock and Peachtree Industrial. That is definitely a Buffalo Bills bar. So by this time now, there are so many Buffalo Bills fans here. And just in general, that is something that always I liked about Atlanta. I think maybe about the time 2000 came around is when I first known, but I went to a job here in Atlanta and they asked everybody in the room, just like maybe 30 new employees. And they asked everybody in the room, if you are not from Atlanta, raise your hand. And I would say 28 out of 30 people raised their hand. So uh, I don't know about you, Vinny, but that is one of the great things that I love about Atlanta. It is a huge melting pot. There are oftentimes, Vinny, where I go extended periods of time where I don't even meet people who are from Atlanta. So uh, to answer your question, yes, this is definitely a place 
piece where there are tons of, I'll just say New Yorkers, period. Jets fans, Giants fans, Bills fans, absolutely, for sure, because there are so many people since the mid-80s to early 90s that have transplanted from New York and New Jersey down here to Atlanta. Absolutely, and and that's a thing that I think gets lost on a lot of people. Like, obviously, you know, we've lived in Atlanta for a long time, so we're aware of all this, and I've learned this because when I was, when I was a kid, I moved to Atlanta in 96, around the Olympics, and I stayed for about two or three years, then my family moved to New Jersey, I lived back up there for four years, and then we came back down in 2003. And when I told my friends in Jersey that I was moving to Atlanta at the end of my sophomore year, if I had a nickel for every hillbilly joke that was thrown my way, I could pay off the deficit and still have enough money for a Big Mac at McDonald's. Like, literally every single person was telling me, they were like, they're doing banjo playing jokes, or I'm gonna be in the sticks, or whatever, or basically all the jokes we normally make about Alabama, they were making about Georgia, basically, is how it was going down. Like, I was like, um, I, I, I wish I had enough, I wish I was clever enough as a teenager to go, yeah, you're off by one state, uh, but I didn't have that back then. Uh, not as clever as I am now. But I would hear these jokes all the time, and I try to explain to people, no, dude, totally different. <laughs> Like that, that's like it's like it's like it's like this joke that uh Bill Clark used to tell all the time. He said, There's Atlanta and then there's Georgia. Like Atlanta's like its own different thing and, and it just it is a melting pot. Like you come down, you realize just how different it really is. And because I rem- and I also noticed that when we do the, the football clubs, there were a lot of Bills fans there that day. But and then I and of course there was a lot of Saints fans around too, which used to shock me. Cause I'm like, wow, like did because I knew the Saints and the Falcons were heated rivals. So I was shocked to see so many Saints fans there and I just kind of looked around. I think this one lady came up to me um, during the football club, and she saw me just looking around. She goes, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just shocked there's so many Saints fans when the Falcons are rivals. And they explained to me a lot of people from New Orleans came over because of Katrina. In fact, I, my, one, of my, one of my friends that used to co-host the show with me, Jerry Truman, he was one of those guys that, like, he lived in New Orleans, and because of Katrina, they all came over here. That's why there's so many Saints fans. So once I put that together, that made sense to me. But the Bills thing always kind of fascinated me. So I thought that was really cool, and I was like, you know, I just I just had to figure that out because I was fascinated because I see like it's like I see Bill stuff I see Saints stuff I see a couple Falcons things here and there and that was just something that fascinated me and one other topic I want to get into and this is going to be a little cr- crazy because I know there's some football fans out there that want to hear about this so I, I just so people know I asked Lance in advance if he wanted to talk about this and I got his permission because anybody that knows me knows when I have people on a show I don't like to blindside people with stuff they're uncomfortable with so I always get permission from people before we dive into content controversial stuff and if they say cool we do it if not we act like it don't exist and of course the big thing going around is um the whole jerry jones controversy apparently um there's a picture of from little rock arkansas uh they call it the uh apparently this article calls it the little there was like a little rock crisis little rock nine basically a bunch of black kids are being prevented from entering the school and if you look at the picture there's some people that are blocking there's some people in the back just looking and apparently there was a they said this picture was of jerry when he was like 15 years old and he's kind of just standing there looking and all of a sudden people just started going off on Jerry Jones like he's he's a racist he doesn't hire black coaches and people went crazy there's some people that are bashing him some people are defending him like there was one guy that was in the picture that said hey you know I I forgive him I don't I'm I've let it go Stephen Smith came to his defense there's just so much controversy surrounding this I was just curious Lance like what is your thoughts on all this and I was just curious um how do you feel about Jerry Jones uh are you for or against or whatever or just what was your reaction when I sent you this article and you took a look at it. Yeah, to be honest, when you first asked me about it, I had not heard it. And prior to me being able to check out the article, uh, LeBron James, 
uh, did an excellent job of bringing this to uh, major media, I think to everyone's attention. And that is the true power and great thing about social media or media nowadays, a player, a person of LeBron's stature, a person of his notoriety, a person who has his type of power and reach. I think it was very important for him to address the situation because it is on the heels and offspring uh, of something that can be looked at as similar in terms of the situation that happened with Kyrie Irving and the whole mix up there. Um, my stance on the situation was, with it being so long ago, um, I think the main thing people were just looking to hear from Jerry Jones himself uh, about the situation. And I think more than anything, because it was so long ago, I think people were just looking to um, ask him about the situation and see what he had to say about it. I know that if I'm not mistaken, he said that he basically was there and just kind of on looking with a lot of other kids. I mean, granted, it was not only him in the picture. He was not the one uh, at the front uh, of those uh, students, black students being uh, defended in. Um, I just think it's a sticky situation, to be honest with you, Vinny. And, and for me, I think that the reason that the world and in particularly here in America, uh, we have problems is because communication, uh, people do not want to deal with the truth. Uh, people do not want to deal with the facts. Um, people are more concerned in a person like Jerry Jones position, uh, his brand, um, who he is as a person. Um, so I just think it's a situation across the board where these things are never easy to handle. I think the biggest thing when something like this happens from your past, people are looking for some type of accountability and people are looking for some type of explanation. And from what I've heard and seen, especially from those in major media, that's what people were simply looking for, where it was for him to say, um, hey, I'm not a racist. Um, I certainly shun and racism. You know, I have a player full of team and has had players on my team for, you know, X amount of years. Uh, to where, you know, this is simply not me and the person that I am. Uh, I was there at the time. I think everybody obviously knows that at that time in the South, uh, racial tension, racism was something that was uh, very heavy, very prevalent as shown in the picture. So I think that was it. You know, I think that um, when something from your past emerges like that, especially in the times that we live in now and on the offspring, again, of something that, and that's really where LeBron brought it to the forefront, you know, Kyrie Irving himself did not speak specifically say that he uh, was in favor of or uh, backed up anything specifically that had to do with uh, being anti any group of people. He simply on his own personal media page said, hey, I have something to the tune of. Hey, this was an interesting movie or this was something that was interesting to me. Check it out. And from there, people went in and I mean, to this day, I still have not heard specifically from anyone. What exact was it that bothered you so much? It just was kind of this, this thing, which we do a lot of time. We just do it in a nutshell. So I think it applies to Jerry Jones as well, you know, um, just for him to be able to come out. And I think that's all people wanted to see. And I think that is kind of where, where we run into issues in life as a whole, that when we make a mistake, when we have an error in judgment, and I mean, let's be honest, I think me and you talked something similar about this last week to where uh, Zach Wilson, I mean, okay, let's forget the fact that he's the quarterback of the New York Jets. Let's take into consideration he's 22 years old yeah. and there are not too many 22 year olds. I know when I was 22 years old, I just was not mature enough. You know, you, you haven't made it through life enough yet to where you um, maybe are thinking about thinking before you speak, how things will affect other people. 
Um, you know, you're not in position to say everything perfectly, do everything the right way. And so, you know, for Jerry Jones, like I said, it was a still shot picture. I really didn't read too much into it, to be honest. I mean, when the picture surfaced, I mean, it's a still shot. He's standing there looking. I mean, there's nothing going on in the picture um, that says to me anything about him. I mean, he's just standing there, you know? Yeah. So um, my feelings about Jerry Jones, I I've never really had any feelings on him at all. You know, I'm the type of person, Vinny, to where um, I'm not a uh, sweep something in the vacuum type of person. So like when people make comments such as white people are racist, that's not a true statement. Some white people are racist. Me and you are great friends. Absolutely. And you're white and I'm black. Um, the people say, you know, black people are wild or ghetto. Uh, that's not true. Some black people are wild and ghetto. So, you know, I think that it's a situation where um, the media ultimately can drive things in a certain position or situation. I'm happy that the situation was brought to light. And again, I think it just boils down to some accountability. I don't think anybody was looking to hear anything from Jerry Jones except, you know, hey, um, at that particular time, this is what I was doing. This was going on. But I 100 percent am not a racist person. I don't condone racism. It is something that is ugly. It is something that is horrible. It is something that's plagued our society for way too long. Uh, I am happy that I have had an opportunity through being the owner of the Dallas Cowboys to employ so many black men. I'm around these guys every day. He's on that team for 20 plus years. So the amount of black men that who have walked through his doors that he's employed, that he's cut paychecks to. So uh, I've never heard any Dallas Cowboy black player say that Jerry Jones is racist. So, you know, I think it just was something that was good to um, kind of just bring to the forefront, but it wasn't enough girth. It wasn't enough traction. Uh, I hate to keep repeating myself, but I think that's all people and particularly black people were looking to hear from Jerry Jones is, hey, whatever the case was. Back then, I was a young man. I lived in the South, an area that was very racist um, in that particular picture. This is what I was doing there. I certainly was no part of what was going on. And my stance and position on racism today is, and I think that would have been it. And so up to this point, I myself have not heard those specific words come out of his mouth. And by no means am I, you know, saying what I just said is the perfect and right way to go about it. But I think in the bigger scheme of things, I think that's all people were looking for because pictures, uh, what do they say, are worth a, a, worth a thousand words. Yeah. And so if you're silent on something or you don't say anything, then you leave people to assume and draw their own conclusions. And I think in this particular case, it just was a great opportunity for him to really shoot the situation down uh, from the ferry jump and just say what his stance is on the matter. Um, I'll just say this as well. Uh, it can be tough a lot of times because I think that's another issue in our society. People are not truthful about who they really are. And so uh, in front of the cameras, out in public, they're saying and acting a certain way. But behind closed doors, when the cameras are off, when they're with their family, when they're with their friends, when they're with their business partners, they are saying and going about things a totally different way. And I just think for our society, our communities, our neighborhoods, our country as a whole, that is where we run into our biggest problems is that people are not honest about who they really are. And that in itself, you know, is a problem. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more.
more. And and as far as like you know, and I think and I think there's like there was a part of him that maybe wanted to say something, but I'm sure there's like a t- if he hasn't said anything, I'm sure it's because there's a team of people that are trying to make him like quiet down the situation. Because I've seen I've seen whenever someone's con- has been in a controversial situation, there's either, there's the people that want to come forward and say something, then there's the other people that are like trying to lay low because they're afraid no matter what they say, you know things are gonna get blown out of proportion. And the closest thing I ever heard to a statement was he was saying something about how when he was there he didn't get in- he didn't physically get involved in anything, but he was there watching because he was curious about what was going on. Which uh, I personally can empathize with that because I know that he had a father or a grandfather from what I'm reading here. So this is the close and the article I sent uh, I sent I sent you was like the closest thing to a fair and balanced article I could find because I was trying to find one that didn't lean too far one way or the other that would give the facts. And I know apparently he had a father or grandfather that was that was supportive of this, but he necessarily wasn't, which which can be the case. There's a lot of times where parents and grandparents can be like, you know, insanely racist and the kids just kind of sitting there going, what the hell is going on? What are they talking about? Especially at 15. Like there's, I don't know any 15 year olds that have that solid decision already in their heads. Um, I, I mean, if they do get them help, but if not, that's cool. Um, and then I, cause it said it was more of a curious thing. So I can understand somebody being curious about what the hell is, is what's going on. Cause I didn't start, like it wasn't until like I was in like fourth or fifth grade that I even learned what racism was. And that's because my parents never just didn't raise me that way. Like I always say, I'm one of the kids who lucked out because I had parents who weren't like that, who didn't have that mentality and didn't raise me to have it. So when I started learning that there were people that would just look at the color of someone's skin and instantly hate them, I was like, what? Why? Like, like I like I worked in retail for 13 years. I could think of a million reasons to hate somebody before I would even go to that. I could I could think of a hundred other things before I would even get to that point if it even made the list at all. So I can understand that that part of it. And I always was just like, you know, and then of course there was other issues and things going on. There's another thing I wanted to touch on was apparently one of the things that people kept saying that in order for him to make this right was to hire a black coach. And my question is, is that, you know, obviously I'm all for diversity in any job that has it. Like if there's, if there's a, if there's a black coach out there that's qualified for the job and can do the job very well and is going and can lead the Cowboys to a championship, I'd say hire the guy. But my, my belief system is I don't believe in hiring somebody good. I don't believe in giving somebody a job or denying somebody a job because of the color of their skin. You should give it to them to qualify for the job. Like, you know, you mentioned before how you and I are really great friends and we are, but the reason I have you on the show is not because I wanted a black guy on my show. It's because we're friends and because when it comes to the NFL, you know exactly what you're talking about. You co- you're the NFL exporter because you're an expert on the NFL. So if I'm going to talk football, I want somebody who's an expert for the NFL on my team, regardless of, of skin color. So I guess the question I want to ask is, um, would hiring a black coach solve anything? And why is this an obsession in the NFL? And I'm, and again, this is strictly from a question I want to learn standpoint. Sure, absolutely. Uh, well, I'm the type of person, it's the same thing. I am looking for the best person to do the job. Um, so I myself would not hire someone just because of their skin color. I do not think that would be a fix for the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys are one of the top five teams in the NFL. They have a realistic shot to win the Super Bowl this year. They don't need a new head coach. I don't think bringing in a black coach would uh, do anything for the Dallas Cowboys. I think, man, like I said, this this is definitely something and I'll be respectful of our time. And this is definitely something that we can come back to, you know, a, a, another segment or set 
set aside a uh, uh, individual segment, but I would just say that once someone is a business owner, that puts them in position to hire the people that they, I would assume, uh, expect and want to do the best job possible. And so um, if Jerry Jones or anybody decided to hire all white people, all black people, all uh, Spanish people. I think that that is their individual right to do so because they are the person who owns the business. Um, they are the person who's making the decisions. And again, my assumption uh, when it comes to business would be that people would be looking to hire the people who can do the best and most effective job. Uh, the issue with the NFL that you just spoke on is there are the majority of the league uh, are black players. Um, the majority of head coaches are not black. The high majority of general managers, people in management positions are not black. And then for sure, the owners are not black. So I just think it's a thing where people are looking for diversity. And this is it's interesting we're having this conversation because these things do play into the undeniable racism uh, that has plagued and really been a detriment to this country uh, for a long time, including all the way up until now. And a lot of this, Vinny, had to do with for a long time, the NFL had the stigma or stereotype that Black players could not be quarterbacks. And it was based on the fact that they could not think enough. They weren't uh, smart enough to figure out defenses. They did not have the wherewithal and thinking capacity to be able to lead a team. Uh, they weren't leaders. Um, so that was a barrier that had to get broken down and taken away. And when you look at the NFL now, uh, some of the best, if not the absolute best quarterbacks are black. Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, even though he's not this year. Uh, that was a bad example, but in the past. But so that was one stigma. And I think this, again, this just has to do with perception. There's been a horrible stereotype and perception about black people in this country that we are not as sharp. We are not as educated. We are not as good thinkers. We are not leaders. We don't have the capacity to to do A, B, C, and D. And that is, some of it is actually true, but this is the other piece of it when I was going to kind of swing it back to if Jerry Jones or anybody elects to only hire a uh, certain ethnic, ethnic group of people, the question becomes why? And you are accountable. Now, you don't have to, but you are accountable. People do want to know, hey, you know, this is your business, your thing. What is the reason why, though, that you have elected to only hire this certain ethnic group of people. And I think that's exactly uh, when you look at Black people and, again, the perception, the stereotype um, about Black people being uneducated. Well, yeah, that may be true, but why? That's the question. I think that is always what is missed is when, some, when somebody says something, there is usually a reason why. And if you look at, yeah, maybe Black people were not as educated. The reason why? They were not given the same opportunity. They were not afforded the same schools. They were not afforded the same facilities. Facilities. They were not afforded the same education. They were not giving the same opportunity. So, you know, that's the big thing for me, Vinny, is when we address these situations, uh, we always need to make sure we have some type of clear context. And then we need to get into why. And then what even makes it difficult to peel that next layer back is a lot of people have been 
I don't want to use the word brainwash, but they have a been it's been so deeply engraved in them a certain belief or perception or stereotype yeah. that no matter what you say to them, it won't change it. But that next layer is dealing with the facts. And when something is a fact, when something is the truth, it cannot be denied. So at that point, if somebody does not like it, then then that is that own person's individual responsibility to deal with. But if I come to you and tell you the truth, I tell you the facts, I can actually show it to you. And then you still choose to believe what you want to believe, then then that is on you. So that is kind of where I stand on the situation and just knowing that a lot of these things and these issues have to do with the unfortunate racism that dominated this country up until I mean it really wasn't that long ago I mean what maybe maybe I don't know maybe the maybe the late 90s 2000s I mean just because a lot of these laws were passed just because a lot of things were changed they weren't changed because people wanted to change they were changed because laws were made and they were forced to so a lot of people uh, who had a certain belief or stance or perspective on things they still feel that way they still felt that way it things may just have not been able to to be done as publicly as before when there were no laws. And so, you know, that's my stance on it. I, I to be honest with you, the whole Jerry Jones thing, uh, out of respect for your show, I definitely did my homework. I definitely looked to see what, what was what. But, you know, a lot of this stuff, Vinny, it just kind of slides by the wayside. If you are someone who um, has some general knowledge about history. Uh, I have a daughter. We did we we did sixth six grade history last year. I mean, it, it's right there in plain as day. A lot of the information is there. It's unfortunate. And so I think that is kind of leading us full circle back to this Jerry Jones things, which is I think black people, minorities, and maybe even white people who are not racist, they probably just wanted to hear from Jerry Jones again. Just simply say, hey, whatever, whatever about that picture. It was how many ever years ago? Like I said, who can raise their hand? Hand and say at 15 or 16 years old, they had everything fully covered. They were knew how to handle everything, knew how to handle every situation, knew how to think about uh, doing things before consequences or repercussions. So, hey, whatever happened back then, that was back then. This is who I am now. And I think that's the most important thing because we've all made mistakes. We've all had misjudgment, bad error, um, done things that we regret, but it's about who you are today. Hopefully the things that, you know, affected us and our mistakes in the past. Um, I tell people all the time, mistakes are very important because mistakes are to be learned from and not to repeat, you know, mistakes are life teachers. And so I think that's where my official stance on it is, is that, Hey, whatever happened back then happened then let's focus on who I am now, because those situations help me turn into a more knowledgeable and, and better person. Absolutely. And it's like the, and it's, it's like that famous quote. It's like, if, if he's, a, if it's like, they said it was like 65, 66 years ago. If he was the same person then that he is now, he basically wasted 66 years of his life. Like everybody grows, everybody learns, everybody evolves. And um, speaking of evolving, uh, we've evolved into another week here in the NFL. So uh, Lance, what would you say were the, the big highlights of uh, week 13? Man, we're coming down a stretch run here, Vinny. Week 13, very interesting week. A week where I think right now, and we kind of talked about this a little bit last week, things are exactly how they are. We're not going to see too much change. We are crazily heading into week 14 we have one month of football left before the playoffs start and so uh in thursday night football the bills went on the road 
beat the Patriots 24-10. No surprise there. Buffalo just the better team. You look at the Patriots, their struggles this year really have to do on the offensive side of the football after they decided to let their offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, go. He is now the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, the Patriots decided to not have a offensive coordinator this year that they just would basically wing it. Let's just call it what it is. And I'll say, if you're somebody like Bill Belichick who has six Super Bowl rings, uh, what is it, maybe nine Super Bowl appearances as a New England Patriots head coach, you've had this system in place for so long to where, um, man, he's really been able to, the pay, that's the Patriots philosophy, is getting as much as they can for as little. You rarely see the Patriots sign big-name players, specifically on the offensive side of the football. The Patriots defense is still a top-10 unit in the NFL. NFL, but offensively, not too many people can name anybody on that offense. And that is something that is kind of rare. So uh, they are just a team on the offensive side of the football that is lacking in talent and lacking in direction. Second year quarterback, Mac Jones, who after last season, people felt that he was the best quarterback to come out of that class. He's kind of dropped to the bottom of the list right now. And again, I don't know how fair it is to him when you don't have an offensive coordinator, you don't have anybody who is their job is specifically to focus on on making sure that the offense is successful. Right now, New England has been doing it with Bill Belichick, a deep former defensive coordinator, and just some assistants. So um, their season is up in the air right now at six and six. Uh, the Bills right now at nine and three, by default, have found themselves back atop the AFC because one of the best games of this past Sunday, Vinny, was the Cincinnati Bengals knocking off the Kansas City Chiefs at home 27 to 24. And there is something to this. This is the third straight time that the Bengals have beat the Kansas City Chiefs last year in the AFC Championship game, uh, a regular season win this year, a regular season win last year. Uh, the Bengals are a team, Benny, right now who are hitting on all strides. Uh, my question marks about the Bengals coming into the season where their offensive line, that area that seems to be improved now, certainly didn't look that way to start the season off. And the key for me was going to be if their defense can play as well as it did last year. You knew which Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon. They have the one of the best skill position offenses in the NFL, and their defense has answered the call. This has been a unit, although there are not a bunch of name brand power that will jump out to you, very good team. And that was a key victory. I think it is a mental thing now. If you look at the difference between Buffalo and Cincinnati, who both, right, the Kansas City Chiefs won four, have been a four straight AFC championship games. They've won a Super Bowl. They've been to another Super Bowl. So they've kind of set the standard as for what the uh, model is in the AFC. Well, if you look at the Buffalo Bills, they beat Kansas City two times the last year, but it was in the regular season. They've lost to Kansas City twice in the playoffs. As for the Bengals, they've beaten the, the uh, Chiefs not only in the regular season, but in the playoffs. So I think there is a mental effect there for Cincinnati that they know for a fact they can beat Kansas City. They are not afraid of them. And I think it kind of has Kansas City back on their heels a little bit, trying to figure out, okay, what do we have to do to get past the Cincinnati team? Because they're the one team in the AFC that is really giving us trouble. Uh, some other games that were certainly interesting. Um, I'll just push through and focus on playoff teams. So Pittsburgh and Atlanta, uh, very unlikely to either one of those teams make the playoff. Atlanta has a very slim shot because of the division that they're in, even though they're five and eight, they're only two games behind Tampa Bay in the loss column. Pittsburgh, their season is pretty much done. Uh, in that game, all I can say, Vinny, is how we talked about last week, the Falcons always provide you with an entertaining game. And this one came down to the stretch again. Pittsburgh was able to pull it out 19 to 16. 
Green Bay and Chicago. Green Bay is hanging on to a thread uh, in the NFC playoff picture. The Chicago Bears are absolutely done. I don't think there was anything that really came out of that game. Everybody expected Green Bay to win that game on the road. Um, Packers did not look impressive. They beat a Chicago team that only has three wins on the season, one of the worst defenses in the NFL. So if there's really any stories that are coming out of that Green Bay-Chicago game, again, you are just extremely encouraged if you're a Chicago Bears fan about the development of quarterback Justin Fields. You go into the offseason, you know for a fact you need to build around him because he is super talented. For Green Bay, it's just really a waiting game right now. I think the next time that they lose, we'll probably see quarterback Jordan Love on the field, and that's really the elephant in the room, what to do with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, He's making $50 million a year. He doesn't seem overly motivated. It's been a long season for the Packers, so um, that's really it for Green Bay. I think they're just kind of waiting to see if Jordan Love, the quarterback they drafted in the first round a couple years ago, if an opportunity presents itself to get in the uh, the lineup. Jacksonville at Detroit, no big news there. I think the amount of victory, uh, the margin of victory was astounding. A 40-14, to Detroit scoring on its first eight consecutive drives. Uh, We talked about this last week. Detroit is no tough out. Uh, They are a team that are headed in the right direction. They have a ton of talent on offense around quarterback Jared Goff, the one-two punch of Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift. Uh, Wide receiver Amon Rod St. Brown has quickly established himself as one of the top receivers in the NFL, if not the NFL, the NFC. Uh, Jamison Williams, DJ Chark, Josh Reynolds. So, I mean, they're loaded on offense. They're a team that their defense can play better, but you knew, again, their head coach, Dan Campbell, when I seen him cry, a grown man, a head coach, he literally cried in a media press conference after last year's game because his team worked so hard week in and week out, and they just couldn't win these close games. So I knew that he had his locker room won, and Detroit is a team that plays hard every single week. Uh, their playoff chances are slim, but they are not going to be an easy out for anybody that they face. The Minnesota-New York game was very interesting. Uh, this is a big situation going on in New York because it is obvious to see that quarterback Mike White is better than last year's number two overall pick Zach Wilson and it is a huge huge dilemma because when you draft a quarterback or a player that high up in the draft you have a lot of money tied to that player but that is a long-term investment and so I don't think the Jets are in position to just turn away from Zach Wilson but in two games and even a couple games Mike White played in last year at quarterback it's like night and day I'm not saying by any stretches this guy is a superstar but when he's playing quarterback their offense looks completely different he makes the right reads he's got better accuracy better arm strength just has a better handle on the offense and I think the thing that is really going to make this tough is he's the guy that the players like and gravitate to towards more so that's going to be a story that is very interesting to hold on to as for minnesota they've done what they've done all year long that has continued to win close games the jets had a chance to win it at the end and the receiver dropped the ball it was a contested catch it was very difficult to make uh, but minnesota continues to win these close games they are now at 10 and 2 the number two seed in the nfc they have a stronghold on the nfc north i, I just man I, i'm just i'm not sold on minnesota because when you look at the top teams in the nfl whether it be buffalo uh since Cincinnati or Kansas City in the AFC. You look in the NFC, whether it's been Dallas, uh, Philadelphia, or San Francisco, all of those teams have had at least one victory 
where they completely wiped out the opponent and won that game by 20 plus points dominant from beginning to end. You haven't seen that from Minnesota this year. Minnesota has won every single game pretty much by one possession. And I think on one end of the spectrum, Vinny, it's a good thing for Minnesota because once you do enter the playoffs, these are tightly contested games. So I think this is uh, great for Minnesota in terms of when they do get into tight games in the playoffs, it'll be something that they're used and accustomed to. But at the same time, it seems like they're playing with fire that if they keep this trend up, it's only a matter of time before something happens. And it's usually one mistake. When you're winning these games consistently by three, four, five, six points, then that means that you are having all the breaks go your way. And Minnesota is probably a team that uh, in the playoffs, again, uh, going to be in these tight games. And I think it could be beneficial, but I think it's also very dangerous. Another game that was really good, Washington at the New York Giants, ended in a tie. And uh, we never like to see that happen. But I mean, hey, they gave these guys an extra 15 minutes and they simply couldn't get it done. And so both of these teams now, the Giants 7-4-1, and one, the Commanders 7-5-1, and one, these two teams actually are going to play again in week 15. But both of those teams deeply in the playoff hunt. Um, I think when you're looking at Washington, I think these are all the positive signs. Uh, Taylor Heineke, I think he's a guy that they should look to commit to long term. He, he like Carson Wentz and like Zach Wilson, Heineke has come in, just has better command of the offense. He's seeing plays better. He's getting the team involved. The guys are rallying around him. Rookie running back, Brian Robinson, 96 rush yards. So I think that's another situation like in New York and Washington where you're saying, man, we invested money in the guy, but the other guy is playing much better and the team is rallying around him. For the Giants, I think they're just coming back down to life. This was a team that where there weren't huge expectations. A lot of their early season wins were over teams with losing records. And they're another team where every single game is close and so again it certainly builds character but i think it's something that in the end um you see them coming up short uh impressive was philadelphia i mean the way that they dismantled ten dismantled tennessee at home it just was impressive and quarterback jalen hurts he was dialed in from the very jump looked very sharp i watched that first possession and they just destroyed uh tennessee tennessee is probably the fourth i have them as my fourth best team in the afc right now but we talked about this last week when they can't run the football the titans they simply can't get it done through the air. And that's what happened. I mean, Philadelphia came in, took Derrick Henry out of that game early. Uh, uh, one way you can do that is by putting up a, a bunch of points. And so Philadelphia at 11-1, very impressive. Uh, big game between them and Dallas coming up. They could ultimately determine uh, the a NFC East and ultimately who gets the number one seed. But if the Eagles, man, hitting on all cylinders right now, a team that is very, very dangerous. And you like the balance that you see for them. They can get it done in the air. They can get it done on the ground. Their defense is uh, trying to play a little bit better, so very impressive. On the flip side, I'm not impressed with the Baltimore Ravens at all. Quarterback Lamar Jackson left that game with a knee injury prior to him leaving with a knee injury. You heard me talk about this on your show last week, Vinny. It, it, listen, man, if the Ravens, the Titans, some of these teams, I mean, it's just the ceiling is there. We've seen it. And for the Ravens, if they can't run the football, and I'm looking for somebody else besides Lamar Jackson, right? Bart Scott's always on ESPN. A lot of these guys on TV are going on and on about how the Ravens can run the football. When's the last time that the Ravens have had a 100-yard rusher from the running back position? I don't believe that. And when you look at their wide receivers, I mean, Devin DuVernay, Demarcus Robinson, uh, Deshaun Jackson, I mean, it's, it's, it's not enough. And so the big thing is Lamar Jackson's injury because he turned down a $250 million contract this past year 
year. He wanted more money. And I'll be the first to say, he hasn't done anything in terms of his numbers uh, to show that he deserves more than what the offer was. And so that is definitely going to be something to to talk about. I think the Ravens are probably going to play it safe, sit him out, make sure that they can get into the playoffs with a healthy Lamar Jackson. But that's one of the things I talked about on my Pure NFL podcast that I do not believe in the Ravens between their offense being ineffective and their secondary giving up big plays. Good team, not good enough. As for the Denver Broncos, things couldn't get any worse. Another loss for Russell Wilson and company, only able to put up nine points. And again, they they just can't wait for the season to get over long enough. The headlines are starting to accumulate about how much of a mistake it was for Denver to not only trade for Russell Wilson, but sign him to that big $200 million plus contract. Cleveland and Houston, I think that game went as expected. You heard me talk about on the show last week that the return of Deshaun Watson to Cleveland, look, he hadn't played in two years. He was going to be rusty and it showed. You know, you cannot at the quarterback position, not playing a real game for close to two years, come back on that football field and just light it up. That's not the way that it works. And so he was late on a lot of throws. He, you know, didn't trust what he's seen. I mean, just again, just things that you would expect. But because the Houston Texans are so bad, especially on offense, Cleveland was able to win that football game and it was not a result of their offense. When you look at the 27 points for Cleveland, 21 of those points came on a punt return and two defensive touchdowns. So with uh, Deshaun Watson back at quarterback, their offense was only able to muster up seven points. And I think right now for Cleveland, a team that has really no playoff aspirations, these last games for Deshaun Watson and his offense is just trying to get a head start on next season. Uh, Seattle had a great comeback at the Rams. The Rams are cooked. They are absolutely done. I'm pretty sure the home fans were happy to see a more uh, motivated and uh, competitive product on the field. But Seattle, this was a must-win game for them. Geno Smith continues to be one of our comeback of the player candidates through a touchdown to DK Metcalf with eight seconds left in that game to help Seattle reach seven and five. They are very much alive in a playoff hunt in a team who could be extremely uh, dangerous. The other game of the week was the San Francisco 49ers and Miami Dolphins. Very impressive win for San Francisco. Their defense tops in the NFL right now. They are just getting the job done. The big news to come out of this one was quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Unfortunately, broke his foot. He is done for the season. And that really has crippled the 49ers' chances of reaching the Super Bowl. And this has really been the story for San Francisco. If you look at the last four years, this is year five, but if you look at the previous four years, the two years when the 49ers team was completely healthy, they made it to the NFC Championship game in both of those years. One year, they made it to the Super Bowl. The two other years where injuries plagued this team, they were not good. And you look at San Francisco, You start off the year with quarterback Trey Lance. You lose him to the year with a broken fibula or or foot injury. Now you lose Jimmy Garoppolo. So it's going to be Brock Purdy, a rookie quarterback, expected to lead the San Francisco team. And uh, look, for what it was worth, he looked good. You know the defensive coordinators are now going to scheme and play him a little bit different. But the 49ers have a ton of talent on the roster. If there is a team that may be able to help offset and overcome that, I think it is the San Francisco 49ers, perhaps like we've seen with Cooper Rush do with the Dallas Cowboys. They're a team loaded on both sides of the football. He was able to go four and one. So perhaps Purdy can do the same thing for Miami uh, to a tongue of Iloa, their quarterback. He got rattled early after the first play of the game, which was a 75 yard touchdown. The 49ers really got off after uh, to a tongue of Iloa. And you can see he was never comfortable through a couple bad interceptions. He was overthrowing receivers all game long. Uh, when the game was still close, he had Tyreek uh, Hill, his wide receiver, wide open in the flats. And he threw it behind him, Hill trying to turn around and catch it. You know, 
know, reached the iron back, tipped the ball in the air, was an interception. And so the 49ers uh, continue to be one of the hottest teams in the NFL right now. But with them losing Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, a guy who was definitely respected on that team, you know, he was the quarterback for both of those NFC championship uh, games and, and that Super Bowl appearance. Uh, that's a deflator, not only on the field, but in the locker room as well. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders uh, trying to make a little noise here. I think it's too little, too late in the AFC at five and seven. Uh, but if they can keep constring- stringing wins together, they certainly have a chance to get in there. For the Chargers, we talked about this last week. All the name power in the world. But I think their head coach, Brandon Staley, needs to go. We hear so much in the NFL how when you have a talented quarterback like a uh, Justin Herbert, you need to get in there an offensive mind at head coach. And I don't see that. Brandon Staley is more of a defensive guy. And to make matters worse, his defense isn't that good. Usually when you hire a coordinator, you expect for that side of the football to get better. And that's not been the case at all uh, for the Chargers. And so this was a good game. Devonta Adams continues to dominate and really show Green Bay Packers fans why they had no business letting them go. Eight catches, a buck 77, two touchdowns. He's an absolute monster. Also, Josh Jacobs, who leads the NFL in rushing, piled on another 144 yards. I think this is the Raiders team we expected to see coming out of the gates. It'll be interesting to see if they can continue winning to make them a threat coming down the stretch. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys absolutely blew away the Indianapolis Colts 54 points uh, in the NFL is just absolutely ridiculous this Indianapolis Colts team is done I think it'll be interesting if they bring to see if they bring interim head coach Matt Saturday back but we talked about the Dallas Cowboys and I'll say this I am one who does not feel they need Odell Beckham Jr. at wide receiver whatsoever Dallas has all the firepower that they need on offense between Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard at running back wide receiver CeeDee Lamb Noah Brown Michael Gallup tight end Dalton Schultz Uh, this defense is playing lights out Dallas along with the Philadelphia Eagles uh, one of the most complete teams in the NFL they are are forced to be reckoned with. I am so excited. I can't wait to see that Philadelphia and Dallas matchup in a couple weeks. And then last night, it was Tom Brady at it again. That was just a big meltdown on the New Orleans Saints part. Uh, we've seen Brady do this over and over again. <sighs> You give the guy credit. You give Tampa Bay credit for fighting and winning, but it wasn't impressive. Tampa Bay still six and six. They only had three points going into the fourth quarter. So don't let the final score fool you. This was a 16 to three ball game with three minutes left. And the New Orleans Saints, like they've done all season long, find ways to lose. And so uh, for Tampa Bay, good for them. Uh, the win was much needed because if they would have lost this week, they would have only been one game ahead of the teams behind them. So they have a slight uh, cushion. Uh, but I don't think we've seen anything out of Tampa Bay that really uh, made us think that this is a uh, contender all of a sudden now. Uh, and again, for the New Orleans Saints, that was a huge loss because that they're going into a bye week and that win would have pulled them within a game of Tampa Bay. So that was a pretty devastating loss. Yeah, it was definitely a crazy game. In fact, the, the about the I remember the Buccaneers game. I'm watching the highlights, and all of a sudden they they kick the extra point to end the game, and then all of a sudden one of the refs come out and says unsportsmanlike conduct. I didn't see the unsportsmanlike conduct. Did I? Did I? Did they not include that in the highlights? Did anybody see what happened there? No, no, I I, I didn't. You know, sometimes I didn't. I didn't get a chance to see what happened there either, Benny. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was, I just thought that was, that just kind of threw me off. Like, I was, 
you know, kind of like they're saying unsportsmanlike conduct. I'm like, where? All I saw was a kick, and the point was good. And uh, during the Bills Pages game, there was at one point there was a shot put pass that the guy did for the first time, or the, or the announcers called it a shot put pass, and I couldn't tell if that was a forward lateral or not. Like, because it's it's weird. Because sometimes I see the I see the quarterbacks running, and then they throw, and I'm like, okay, how? Like, I, I'm trying to. I, I always forget how far they're allowed to run before they can't throw the ball anymore, and it always feels like they're kind of dancing over that line. I notice a lot. Yeah. Yeah, they can't go past the uh, past the line of scrimmage, and it definitely makes it difficult to really see where that line is. Considering the quarterback usually drops back to pass and then runs forward, so that line can definitely get easily lost in the shuffle. Yeah, because those were just like those were a couple of things that like really like stood out to me as far as okay, I was lost and I was confused on that one. The rest, the rest of it was just pretty much you know badass games. I thought this was very very good this week. I thought I thought I felt like every game brought something to the table as far as like you know great football and entertainment. Obviously, there was a few mistakes here and there. I saw I saw more fumbles than I know what to do with. I'm like, is I don't know what it is, but I don't know what it is with this season. But a lot of people seem to have a hard time holding on to the football nowadays. Like I, I'm used to seeing fumbles, but not this many in, in a season. Yeah, it's, it's definitely crazy. Uh, it's 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 definitely that time of year, and I, I'm I'm excited. I can't wait for uh, this upcoming week 14 because, like I said, Benny, we are down to the last four weeks before the playoffs start. The season has flown right on by, but once December comes. These wins do count. Uh, these losses do count. And uh, it's a lot to play for, even for these losing teams. Guys at this point are playing for their jobs. A lot of guys are playing for incentives that are in their contracts. So uh, there's still a lot of good football left. And again, when you look at the AFC right now, Buffalo 9-3, and Kansas City 9-3, and Cincinnati 8-4. and Those four teams have established themselves as the top three teams in the AFC and the NFC. Philadelphia 11 and 1, Dallas 9 and 3, San Francisco 8 and 4, Minnesota 10 and 2. Those four teams have established themselves in the top teams in the uh, NFC. And then uh, you have the likes of Baltimore, Tennessee, Miami in the AFC, in the NFC. Like I said, I think Seattle is a team that's very dangerous and that uh, teams need to really watch out for in terms of their offensive firepower. Absolutely. And uh, Lance, as always, it's always a pleasure to have you here on the show to t- and taking time out of your busy schedule because I know you're very busy. But uh, real quick before we wrap up, where can people find you on social media? Yes, please. On Facebook forward slash NFL Exporter. The name would be Lance Goodman on Twitter at NFL Exporter, especially if you're here in Atlanta on Instagram at UFC. ATL. That stands for Ultimate Football Club ATL. And then my website, my official home and hub where you can see all my work, not only NFL, the power rankings, but also fantasy football. This is a huge week for fantasy football because the fantasy football playoffs start next week. Please go to www.nflexporter.com. The spelling for NFL Exporter across the board is N-F-L-E-X-P-O-R-T-E-R. And then if all else fails, please Please hit my man, Benny Bushy up. He'll get you directly to me. He has all my links and me and him talk on social media off. Absolutely. And uh, Lance, once again, man, thanks again for joining us. And we will definitely talk next week. Absolutely, Benny. Have a great week. I look forward to it. All right. And make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We are on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there or be a super fan and follow us on all four 
posting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Be on the lookout for our WWE Survivor Series recap for the male soap opera moment coming soon to the Boochcast Facebook page if it's not there already. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at theboochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. Uh, actually, our first episode of Boochcast Reviews, Dark Side of the 90s, drops today, later on today. It's called Trash TV, Dirty and Deadly Talk. So make sure you check it out on the Boochcast YouTube channel. Also, you can follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, January the 28th for the WWE Royal Rumble. We'll be getting together for the big event. We got the men's and women's Royal Rumble taking place. So we can find out who will be main eventing nights one and two of WrestleMania 39. This is the first stop on the road to WrestleMania. So make sure you guys are joining us on Twitch. Also, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, and other special projects in the works. Also, you can support the Boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is $0.99, cents, $1 per month. Our second level is $4.99, $5 per month. And our third level is $9.99, $10 per month. And you have the option of paying with a credit card or with GPay. And the best part is all the money we raise through donations, through the fans, it goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment. We used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you have a favorite co-host and you believe they're going to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been the Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet.